Decrypted is brought to you by Red Hat, whose broad portfolio of open source technologies for the enterprise helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Learn more at redhat.com slash open tech. At 4 p.m. on January 9th, 2014, as New York shivered through a sub-zero chill, Sina, a Chinese internet company, ended a day of trading on the NASDAQ down 4.5%. Initially, that didn't seem so bad. One of Sina's subsidiaries, a social messaging service called Weibo, was actually growing quite rapidly, and Sina's shares had recently hit a six-month high. Nobody predicted the horror to come. Over the next 15 months, Cena's stock nosedived. At one point, shares fell 62% to just $30 apiece. The company lost more than half of its value. Around this time, the Chinese government was clamping down on social networks, and investors were selling Chinese tech stocks. Investors were worried about an overall slowdown in the Chinese economy, and a new messaging service called WeChat was taking the market by storm. Here's how Charles Chow, the chairman of Sina, remembers it. And of course, uh, you will feel, you know, disappointed. You will feel sad a little bit. But uh, that's the reality. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Well, Charles certainly dealt with it. In fact, he put everything on the line. He took out a loan for a quarter billion dollars. And he combined that with almost everything he had, putting much of his personal wealth at stake. With that money, he bought up nearly half a billion dollars of Cena shares right as their price was hitting rock bottom. And he engineered a pretty remarkable turnaround for his company. Today, Charles Chow is on track to become one of China's newest billionaires. Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm David Ramley. And this week on Decrypted, we'll hear China's biggest technology comeback story direct from Weibo CEO Charles Chow, the man who pulled it off. We'll also look at plans Weibo has for internet video streaming and the online finance sector. And whether it holds any lessons for Twitter, the US social messaging platform which is struggling to turn a profit. It's difficult to understate the popularity of Weibo in China, a place where internet giants like Facebook and Twitter are literally non-existent. And yet despite its position of strength and its incredible stock market rebound, there are still big questions about whether Weibo can keep its growth story going and for how long. Stay with us. So we just compared Weibo to Twitter. That may be a good comparison in terms of what the product does. But in reality, Weibo is much more popular in China than Twitter is in the U.S. That's right. Weibo uses a concentrated in China where 340 million people use the app at least once a month. But Twitter, which is used all over the world, has a slightly smaller user base. And Charles, Weibo CEO. David, how did you meet him? Well, he's a member of the China Entrepreneurs Club, which is a sort of billionaire's playground. Every year on Earth Day, they hold what's called the China Green Company Summit, where members like Charles and Jack Ma, who's the billionaire who co-founded the online retailer Alibaba, they get together and they talk about pretty much anything except for green issues. 
I met Charles in the tallest tower of the exhibition complex in Zhengzhou, the city hosting the summit this year. Near the top of the tower is an Australian steakhouse known simply as The Grill. What's Charles like in person? The word I'd use is measured. Despite being a former reporter, Charles is incredibly media shy. He does less than three interviews a year. and I'd been chasing him for almost a year just to line up this chat. Once you sit him down, though, he's quite polite and generous with his time. But he talks as though he could just stand up at any moment. It's possibly a holdover from his days as an amateur boxer. Wow. So a former reporter and an amateur boxer. So if you're an American investor, it's, it sounds like there's plenty to like about Charles. He graduated from two U.S. universities, worked as an auditor at PricewaterhouseCoopers, and he's a true veteran of the industry. He's been at Cena since 1999 when a friend convinced him to join the finance team. I have been experienced all the major, I think, uh, periods of internet market in China and uh, I've been with this company for 18 years already, yeah, so it's a long time. Back then, Cena was like an early Yahoo, what we used to call an internet portal. You went there for hyperlinks to interesting websites and to look up the news. Also like Yahoo, it had a big profile in China during those PC-heavy early years. Charles arrived at Cena just as the company was preparing for its IPO. And that's the reason I joined the company. They need somebody who uh, helped to do the IPO from professional side. It was a career-defining move for Charles. Cena went public in April 2000, and six years later, Charles took over as CEO. As a young public company, Cena suffered a few setbacks. It had tried to launch an auctions business with Yahoo in 2004, but the online retailer Alibaba was growing so fast that competing efforts really got crowded out by the market. Then Cena branched into search engines, only to get beaten by Baidu. Incidentally, Sina wasn't the only loser in search. Google tried to establish itself in China, but pulled out in 2010 before getting blocked by the Chinese government, effectively leaving Baidu with a monopoly in the search space. Then in 2009, three years after Twitter first launched, Sina created Weibo. Twitter's stint in China didn't last long either. In the same year that Weibo launched, 2009, the Chinese government blocked Twitter because it refused to go along with censorship guidelines. It left Weibo an open market, although Charles will tell you that Weibo also had a better product. Like, uh, for example, WeChat is much better in many ways than Facebook, right? And uh, I think our product is much better than Twitter. And uh, I think it fits local market much better. And uh, so that's the difference. Initially, things went fairly well for Weibo. 14 months after launching, Weibo had 15 million registered users. It took Twitter three years to hit that milestone. By fall of 2011, it had 227 million users, and this became 424 million just a year later. But by 2014, things were going awry. What has really been an unprecedented, widespread public protest from The Arab Spring was taking off, galvanized by social networks like Twitter. Margaret, we heard this again and again. They wanted to make Tunisia happen here. And the big question was... The Chinese government, facing its own sort of jasmine revolution online, was prompted to crack down as well. And there were economic worries at home. China's gross domestic product growth was starting to slump to levels not seen since the 1990s. And tech companies, even mighty Alibaba, were seeing their share prices falter. But the biggest problem was actually WeChat. Also, Weibo 
has been going through some you know difficulties in the challenging market, especially with the I would say the the the, the introduction uh, of WeChat. I mean, that has a big impact on the usage and on the growth of Weibo. WeChat started out as the WhatsApp of China, but it has quickly become the Swiss Army knife of apps. In the sense that you can do so many more things than just messaging inside this one app. Perhaps because of that, WeChat has spread through China like wildfire. Today, it's the undisputed king of the country's social messaging market. WeChat's launch coincided with China's seismic shift to mobile. By contrast, Sina was more oriented towards desktop browsers, and also Weibo was starting to see its growth rate slow down. It's significantly impacted the growth rate of Weibo, and also the mentality and the momentum, I would say, of Weibo's growth. The combination of mobile, WeChat, and the slowing Chinese economy came at the worst possible time for Charles. So, you know, the internet product. If once you lost momentum, it's very hard to come back. You see, Charles was trying to spin off Weibo from Sina and float it on the Nasdaq as a separate company. Charles was trying to reduce risk because Sina had pumped huge amounts of money into making Weibo a success. Charles was betting that if he could just convince rural Chinese and people living in provincial cities and industrial towns to start using Weibo, he'd be able to unlock a huge new customer base for his company. But now the numbers were trending the wrong way. If the attempt to IPO had come a year or even a few months earlier, it may have gone off without a hitch. I would say that's major reasons for people had a pretty pessimistic view about Weibo, and for that fact. I mean, because Weibo was the major growth area for Sina, that also impacted Sina's stock price. Investors started hitting the sell button on Sina shares. Charles said he was kind of blindsided by the reason why foreign investors were feeling so nervous about his stock. Usually, they have a Chinese analyst. They were early users and strong users,、uh, very heavy users of Weibo. I said, "I will don't use that anymore." <laughs> But actually, that only represents a part of elite users. I have to say, David, I've also heard from my Chinese friends and colleagues too that they're migrating from Weibo to WeChat. So that's why investors didn't want to buy Sina stock. <laughs> yeah, put simply, yes. A lot of investors were very excited about China, but they simply didn't have any local know-how. So when deals came up, they did what most of us would probably do if we're planning a holiday. They asked a colleague with a connection to China. I mean, they did not. Really know that you know. Okay, these people are actually more using more WeChat now, but we actually have a lot more new users, not from that group actually,、uh, from lower tier cities, younger generations, and so that's the market they did not understand.、Yeah. That's Charles's rural strategy again: lower tier cities, younger generations. Basically, he's saying that he was sure his product would still grow. It's just that financial analysts weren't picking up on that in their highly educated urban social circles. The result, to hear Charles tell it, was absolutely brutal. The rest of his story is coming up right after this word from our sponsor. You know where you want to be. Red Hat has the broad portfolio of open source technologies to get you there. Meet your evolving business challenges head-on with secure solutions for the enterprise, including Linux platforms and containers, hybrid cloud infrastructure, application integration and development, 
operations management, and beyond. Visit redhat.com slash open tech to learn more. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Okay, we're back, and things are about to get rocky for Weibo CEO Charles Chow. Chinese internet users are switching to mobile, a dangerous new competitor WeChat is taking off, and the national economy as a whole is slowing down. Cena shares are starting to take a beating in the markets, and Charles is trying to take his company public at what turns out to be the worst possible time. I mean, if you look at our uh, uh, presentation for IPO uh, three years ago, we outlined our strategy in terms of nobody believed us, okay? <laughs> it was a totally disaster, I mean, in terms of IPO roadshow, I can tell you. I never experienced anything like that. Weibo eventually listed with an initial share price that was at the bottom of the proposed range at $17 a share. The IPO raised half of what it was supposed to. Instead of $500 million, the float raised only $286 million. To make matters worse, Cena became unprofitable as users shifted their attention to WeChat and other platforms like video streaming services. Right. China went through a really dramatic shift to mobile. Many people never had desktop computers in the first place and had been accessing the web via internet cafes. Now the smartphone became their first personal internet device, and Cena started to rely more and more heavily on Weibo to generate revenue. It was the only part of Cena's business that really tapped into mobile. But Charles did try a number of other experiments to get growth going again. I mean, he partnered with Alibaba on a digital wallet, but that didn't work out. I'm trying to imagine the stress Charles was under at the time. By the end of 2014, after a lackluster Weibo IPO, equity analysts were downgrading their ratings on Cena. Speculation was actually building that a bigger rival like Alibaba would actually come along and buy out the business. And that could lead to Charles basically getting kicked to the curb. But it was at the height of this turmoil that Charles did something really remarkable. Charles says he always felt the market didn't understand how good his companies were. Investors were treating Cena as if Weibo was the only business in its portfolio with any value. So Charles made the bet of a lifetime. He scrounged, he saved, he went to Credit Suisse to take out a $230 million loan. That's nearly a quarter of a billion dollars. Then, in June 2015, Cena announced to the market that Charles had bought $456 million worth of Cena shares right when its stock price was near rock bottom. This news stunned traders in the financial world who were following the company. One of those people was Brendan Ahern, the chief investment officer at Crane Fund Advisors living in New York. I imagine him going in to see his bankers and saying he wants to borrow several hundred million dollars in order to invest in this company. He's he's become so frustrated with the lack of market recognition that the true value of of Cena, you know, it's almost like a poker player where he's pushing the chips out into the center of the table. In other words, Charles was going all in. Here's why Charles's decision to buy so much company stock is such a big deal. Apart from the fact that Charles was taking quite a massive personal risk by taking on all the debt and putting his entire fortune at stake, it gave Charles a lot more influence over the company. 
uh, no, no, as a big shareholder, I'm more, I would say, in a position uh, to making, to make long-term decisions for the company. And that's the difference, I think. If you're not a big shareholder, part of you are not, uh, your interest not related to the company for long run. Uh, for CEO of a public company, you tend to make short-term decisions based on the profitability, based on the stock price, based on the people's expectation. But for our business, if you cannot bet on something big for the future, you don't have future. Yeah. For people like Brendan, the trader in New York, Charles's move made him sit up and pay attention to what was happening at Cena. When when have you seen a CEO put such a you know large bet monetarily um, on 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 his on their company? I, I think that's you know not not many comparisons come to mind. It was just such an unusually bold thing to do. For his part, Charles insists it's not a gamble when you're sure of the odds. I mean, my experience has also been quite unique in a way that not only I become the uh, the, the, the CEO and chairman of the company, but also I become the largest shareholder of the company. And partly because I love the company, partly because uh, uh, I believe in the company's future. Back at the steakhouse, Charles and I had a great view of Zhengzhou's hazy skyline. It's one of those countless Chinese cities that people from outside the country would really struggle to name. And yet it has a population of around 10 million people. Cities like this were essential to Charles' plan. Yes, the idea was to go big on provincial cities like Zhengzhou. People had long ignored this slice of the market for very good reasons, actually. Salaries were very low and people, frankly, didn't have that much extra cash to spend. So, David, how exactly does Weibo make money? Essentially in much the same way that Twitter does, mostly through targeted online ads. From the moment you download the app, you're being tracked as an individual, and Weibo serves up ads based on the profile they collect about you. You know, what your interests are, your gender, and your taste in clothes, whether you'd potentially be a buyer of designer brands. And this is why many Chinese companies have ignored lower-tier cities, right? Well, yeah. The average Chinese person already makes just a fraction of your average American or European, And the gulf just gets even wider as you move away from the biggest cities like Beijing or Shanghai. But Weibo pushed on, and its smartest move was actually getting Weibo pre-installed on low-cost smartphones. I see. So suddenly you have hundreds of millions of new smartphone users who have no idea what to do with them. They open their phone, and what do you know? There's Weibo. Yeah, that's right. Boredom ultimately was one of the biggest drivers of Weibo's adoption out in these regional areas. You know, there's a lot of tier four cities that don't have shopping malls or movie theaters, right? So what do people do when they get off work? This is Kirk Boudry, an analyst who tracks Cena for New Street Research. He's based in Singapore. It's actually, you know, engaging on, on you know, social platforms has become a very popular um, activity. And monetization on the back of that actually shouldn't be too surprising, especially, um, you know, if if you're... Um, brand advertising. David, was Weibo alone in targeting these regional areas? Other services tried the same strategy, but Charles understood the power of media. Sites like Twitter and Weibo depend on user-generated content, but they soon learned that while big city dwellers like the sound of their own tweets, users out in the provincial cities 
they prefer to watch. So Weibo targeted local TV stations and signed up journalists from around the country. In the first half of 2015, Weibo partnered with 100 different TV shows and 86 movies. It worked directly with TV shows like The Voice of China to boost interaction. Even police departments were signing up, producing low-cost content that was relevant to the new rural users. Charles realized that some users just had no idea how to use the app, so it also launched a service that offers news and feeds based on your interests. The more you use it, the better it gets at guessing what you want to see. All the while, China's mobile internet speeds were improving, so Weibo integrated pictures and video into its feed faster than Twitter. Charles' turnaround strategy was working. The monthly active user count has been up by at least 30% for quarter after quarter. But did it actually make any money? Weibo did manage to win over advertisers. Revenue growth soon recovered, and so did profits. For one thing, expenses are also lower outside of the main cities, so it turned out that many Chinese customers had more disposable income than people had initially expected. But not everyone is a fan. To survive in this market, Weibo had to clamp down hard on any comments or posts seen to be against the wishes of the government in Beijing. Thousands of people are employed just to delete posts on sensitive topics. Users are always trying to game the system and get around censorship rules. The Tiananmen Square demonstrations happened on June 4th, which is a blocked search term on Weibo. So people started using May 35th instead, and this worked for a while until the censors caught on. More recently, things have become much more serious. The Chinese government pointedly threatened people who posted defamatory rumors on Weibo with jail time. But Chat was unapologetic, and even points to Sina's ability to adapt to the government's wishes as a key reason it will thrive as other players might fall. China is different. You have to put things in Chinese perspective. Look at I was a journalist before, right? Right in eighties in China. At that time, there was nothing, right? There was no media. <laughs> there was only like、uh, propaganda, right? Even with censorship on Weibo, ordinary people can complain about some things. That may seem small to a Western audience, but in China, it's actually a really big deal. And Charles is quite proud of that. I, I think it's a it's a huge、uh, sense of success for us to say we have this platform. That allow people to freely talk and to discuss and to、uh, make the society much more transparent. Basically, it's a huge, I think,、uh, progress. For now, Sina gets to take a moment to enjoy its success against the odds. At the very least, it's proven to be more than just a Twitter knockoff. Twitter would love to be Weibo, not the other way around. Here's Brendan again. You go in and look at Weibo for the first time. And this is not Twitter. This is this is much further along in the、uh, utilization of video technology.、Uh, mobile is is huge, and then the monetization of ad revenue. Weibo's investment in video is a great case in point. It owns a substantial stake in Yisha Technology, which is valued at three billion dollars, and has a service for short web videos called Miaopat. But unlike Vine, which had 15-second videos, these companies aren't religious about enforcing the short lengths, and so they both work symbiotically to build users. 
So Charles has managed to pull off this incredibly daring turnaround. Weibo plans to keep going deeper into increasingly rural parts of China, the fourth and fifth tier cities. But will this be enough to keep growing the company, particularly as WeChat becomes more and more dominant? But fundamentally, the answer is no. China's smartphone market is becoming mature and it needs to find new ways to grow. Weibo has thought about offering a Netflix-style streaming video service, but it really got bullied out of the market years ago by bigger players like Baidu and Alibaba with bigger budgets. So instead, it's banking on things like live streaming and short video services to generate more traffic. It's also getting into financial services like online loans. That's right, Charles is a little reticent on the details in light of fierce competition, and the program is not going as quickly as Sina would like. You know, licenses are taking longer than expected to get. But there's a separate subsidiary company dedicated to making it work. David, that's also a space in which Sina is competing with multi-billion dollar companies like Tencent and Ant Financial, right? That's true, but I will say, Charles has heard naysayers before. For now, there's a mix of quiet satisfaction and also excitement at the company. It's a moment to breathe. As we finished up our time together with the restaurant staff packing up, I asked him if he felt vindicated. No question about that. I feel very delighted and uh, I think in some way I'll fulfill in terms of success. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's uh, no question. It's a, it's a demonstration of our uh, ability, achievement, vision and everything. And that's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. So record a voice message and send it to decrypted at bloomberg.net. Or I'm on Twitter at, at David Ramling. And I'm at Brad Stone. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps more listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Pierre Gadkari, Liz Smith, and Magnus Henriksen. A big thank you goes to Taylor Hall and Nico Grant for their work on this story, and to Jeff Muskus, who edited my article in Bloomberg Businessweek about the same issue. Alec McCabe is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts, and we will see you next week. Decrypted is brought to you by Red Hat, whose broad portfolio of open source technologies for the enterprise helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Learn more at redhat.com slash opentech.